John chapter 18, verse 12. It is so good to be back with you today. It's hard not to have a voice, <clears throat> not only because I couldn't preach, but because I couldn't sing. I was at home trying to sing with you, and it wasn't working very well. And this morning, <clears throat> the songs, I almost pushed it a little too hard. I thought, come on, Scott, you've got to save a voice to preach, but it's beautiful to sing with you. John 18 is where we're going to be. Uh, after three years of public ministry and the final encouragement to his disciples and the prayer to the Father on their behalf, we've entered now into what I call the must territory. Jesus said in the other Gospels, the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the religious leaders and be delivered over to the Gentiles and be killed and then on the third day be raised. And the emphasis is on the word must. Jesus said this must happen. It must happen because this is the will of God to accomplish our salvation by means of one. One. Jesus Christ himself on our behalf one standing before God representing us, one on the cross bearing our sin, one being raised for our life. Jesus said this must happen. It's the only way that a human is reconciled to God. As awful and inhumane and unjust as the arrest and the trial and the conviction and the sentence and the crucifixion of Jesus was, it was a must in this passage today, the must is coming to pass. It's a longer passage than usual that we deal with in a sermon here, partly because it all flows together and to give us one vision of Jesus standing alone, but also because I'm actually going to bring last week's sermon and this week's sermon together into one. Many details in this long passage, mainly showing us how illegal and unjust this whole scene is, but also pointing to the ironies of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the true high priest, the judge of all, the faithful friend being treated with such contempt by the people he stands in front of. We're not going to have time to look at all of these details today, but what we want to see is Christ. We want to see the vision of Christ standing alone, denied by his disciple, rejected by his people, declared not guilty, yet condemned as the only one who can save. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, John chapter 18. It's going to be a long reading through chapter 19, but follow along. And the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known by the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept the watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers 
had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves and Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching and Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If what I say is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I say is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, Are you also not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, the relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no fault in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, 
They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard that statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. And they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. It's the vision of Jesus standing alone that is impressed on our minds today. We need a vision of Christ. It's a powerful component in our faith and our faithfulness to Christ is simply to see him. Vision. Vision is spiritual sight. Vision is seeing with the eyes of the heart. This kind of vision that we're talking about is comprehension of the realities, meaning what is real about Jesus Christ. And that vision of Jesus Christ is what generates faith and hope and love. The Holy Spirit gives us a vision of Christ, so we must be born again. The Word, the truth, forms and informs our vision of Christ, so we must hear and read and listen to the voice of Jesus, to the Scriptures. When the Spirit uses the Word to give us a vision of Christ, that's when faith in Him is generated. That's when hope in Him comes alive. That is when love for Christ and love for others comes forth in worship and obedience to Christ and witness to Christ. When the Spirit works in us in the Word, then 
we behold the glory of the Lord and then we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is a spiritual work that the Spirit of God does by the Word through vision of Christ. And today we behold the glory of Christ standing alone. There's glory in that. His aloneness reveals His onlyness. And when we see it, as we see it, we're hoping and praying that the power of that vision would impact our lives today. Now, Jesus is not physically alone. There are many people around Him in this scene. But Jesus is alone in relation to the people around Him. Jesus is alone before Annas and Caiaphas, the priests that represent all the people. They're with him, but in relation to them, he stands alone. <clears throat> Jesus is alone without Peter. Peter, who just prior to, this has prior to this denial said that he would die for Jesus, and he actually drew his sword to fight for Jesus. But Jesus is alone without him now. Jesus is alone before Pilate, who delivers him over to be crucified. We'll see that in each one of these. <clears throat> First, Jesus is alone before Annas and Caiaphas. There's a lot of detail in this passage. It's a beautiful passage. It's a powerful one. There's, there's much to see here. We're going to focus mainly on the vision of Christ, but we do need to see some of the detail here. When Jesus was arrested, it says in verses 12 through 14 of chapter 18, he was first led to Annas, who questioned him about his disciples and his teaching. Now, Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and it was Caiaphas who was the current high priest. Caiaphas had actually devised the plan that it would be better to simply kill Jesus than for the Romans to come down and destroy the whole nation of Israel because of all of the uproar. Now, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests of the Jews, Jesus himself being a Jew, they were not believers in Jesus. They were simply trying to deal with Jesus because Jesus had become for them a problem. <clears throat> Jesus had become a problem to deal with. Jesus has been making claims about being the Son of God. Jesus has done signs that prove that claim. They were jealous and they feared the Romans. So they, <clears throat> along with Judas, got this whole thing started to betray Jesus and to have him arrested and now crucified. In John, <coughs> it's Annas who is spotlighted. He's the head of this priestly family. He's an incredibly powerful man. Annas had five sons, each of whom served as high priest at one point or another, and now Caiaphas is his son-in-law, who is the current high priest, Annas is still holding the power, still holding the influence. He can demand that Jesus be brought to him before he gets to the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, because he wants to do his own questioning. Verse 19, he wants to know about Jesus' disciples and his teaching. How many, are, how many disciples do you have? Who are they? What are their names? Where are they from? He wants to know about his teaching. What is this you said about destroying the temple and rise, it being raised again on the third day, rebuilding it, raising it in three days? What is this stuff about your flesh and blood? 
and that people must partake of it, eat and drink of it? What are you talking about? Do you really believe that you are the Son of God? He's questioning him. Verse 20, Jesus answers him with really two points. He says to Annas, you know what I said. I said it openly. I've been saying it in the synagogue. I've been saying it in the temple. And secondly, Jesus is saying, now listen, if this is a trial, where are your witnesses? Well, it's not a trial yet. And even when there is, there aren't witnesses. This whole thing, Jesus standing before Caiaphas and Pilate, it's filled with, with illegal proceedings. The officer hears Jesus say this to Honest, and he slaps him. He says, is that the way you talk to the high priest? I mean, the ironies abound. Jesus is standing before a human high priest speaking the truth, and an officer slaps Jesus and says, is that how you talk to the high priest? Verse 23, Jesus further exposes the situation for the sham and the shame that it is. He says, you have no witnesses of me doing wrong, and yet you strike me for doing right. I am bearing witness to the truth. Honest is now done with Jesus. Verse 24, he sent him bound to Caiaphas, who also is going to question him. The other gospels tell us about that, this, and then they send him on to Pilate. So here's Jesus standing alone. It's very important that we understand he is being rejected by the high priests because they represent the nation. Pilate understood this. He said, it's your own nation and high priests that have delivered you up to me. They represent the nation. Jesus stands utterly rejected by his people. And then they send him on to Pilate. Now, before we get to Pilate, though, we have to talk about Peter. That's the second. First, he's alone before Honest. Now he's alone without Peter. Because in the background, happening alongside this whole thing, this whole time of questioning by Honest, in the background, there is a denial taking place. Verses 15 and 18, and then skip a section on to verse 25 through 27. Peter is with another disciple who's mentioned here. The other disciple is almost certainly John himself who wrote this gospel. John, the other disciple, knows the priestly family, able to get Peter into the courtyard where Peter can see and hear what's happening to Jesus, and then the, the, the denial happens. First, there's a servant girl at the door. And then there are the servants and the officers around the fire. And then there is the relative of the servant whose ear Peter had cut off in the garden when Jesus was arrested. And they all question him, aren't you one of his disciples? And he denies it all three times. He denied Jesus, yes, but he denied also his discipleship as being one of the followers of Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. Now, Peter is a believer. And I cannot wait to get to chapter 21. The beautiful story, account of Jesus restoring Peter. We're going to return to him. But for now, what we see in this vision of Jesus is he stands alone without his disciple. He stands alone without a friend. He stands alone without a friend who pledged faithfulness to the end. 
and now he's gone. <clears throat> and then the third scene is Jesus before Pilate, beginning in verse 28. <clears throat> this is a longer account than the other three. Many details, but again, remember, it's the vision of Jesus that we want to see. Pilate, he's a Roman governor. And that's interesting because if, if the high priests are representing the people, the Jewish people, the Roman governor basically is representing the whole world. Both the religious and the civil world are rejecting Jesus. The Jews were supposed to follow certain laws if they're going to put somebody to question before the Sanhedrin, and the Romans were supposed to follow certain laws if they were going to put someone through a trial. It should be obvious to us. We have our own legal system, our own legal proceedings. But the priests and the governor all violated their own laws. This is, this is a human and a legal injustice. Now, Pilate, in this account, is back and forth between the Jews and Jesus as Jesus stands there accused. So here's how it goes. Pilate looks at the Jews who brought Jesus before him, and he says, what's the charge? And the religious leader said, trust us, he's evil. No charge. What's the, what accusation do you bring? If he weren't evil, we, we wouldn't be here. Trust us. Pilate says, okay, sounds like a religious matter to me. You go deal with it yourselves. And then the religious leaders say, but we're not allowed to put anyone to death. It just got ramped up right there. Pilate's thinking, oh, they just want to deal with this religious fanatic. They're going to discipline him somehow, excommunicate him from the, the temple, the synagogue. They're going to do something to him. But he doesn't know they want death. And when they say that, Pilate knows he's just been involved. He's just gotten involved. And then verse 32, interestingly, John tells us all of this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus knows this is going to happen. You remember, we're in the territory of the must. This must happen because Jesus said it would. Verse 33 through 38, Jesus is with Pilate. This is Pilate's opportunity. And this is a portion that I think is worth rereading. Verse 33, Pilate entered the headquarters again and he called Jesus and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? <clears throat> Jesus answered, <clears throat> Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, your own chief priest delivered you up delivered you over to me what have you done Jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over by the Jews delivered over to the Jews but my kingdom is not of this world Pilate said so you are a king Jesus answered you say that I'm a king for this pur purpose I was born for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth everyone Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate, to Jesus to Pilate, are you asking me this question because you really want to know or are you just doing your job? Pilate to Jesus, look, this is a Jewish thing. I'm not Jewish. This doesn't have anything to do with me. It's your own people who have rejected you. Jesus. This is not about my people versus your people. This is not of this world. This is not about national and ethnic divisions of the world. I'm not here for one nation and one people only. My followers aren't fighting the kind of battles you fight one nation against the other. 
My kingdom, Jesus said, my kingship, it should probably, many Bible scholars believe it should be translated kingship. Kingdom is just maybe geographic, but he's talking about his kingship, his rule, his reign. My kingdom, my rule, my reign is not of this world. Jesus says, I don't get my authority from this world. My authority comes from God. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to Pilate, that he's a king of a spiritual kingdom, yes, with massive and eternal implications in the hearts of people and on the earth as the truth goes to the nations and people from every nation hear his voice and believe. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, I am a king. He's actually saying to Pilate, do you want to know more? Do you want on your own accord to know? Are you really asking for truth? Do you want the truth of my kingdom and my kingship? Do you want the truth of the kingdom of God? Do you want it, Pilate? Verse 38, Pilate says, what is truth? How do you hear that? I read different things. You try to get the attitude, don't you? You try to feel it. Like, like, did he say, you know, like, what is truth? Like, sarcastically, there is no truth. Did he say, what is truth? Like, man, I've been searching all my life, and I wish I could find it. But he walks away. And it seems that if there is a window of opportunity, it's closed. Basically, at this point, Pilate just wants out. The text tells us. He's, he's want, he just wants to release Jesus. So let me release Jesus and get on with it. I want to deal with the problem, get out of this case. It feels tricky to me. I'm a little nervous about this son of God thing that he's claiming. And I just want to get on about my day. So he comes to the Jews and he says, I don't find any guilt in him. But since it's Passover and I always release a prison, a prisoner, I'll release a prisoner. Let me release Jesus. And they say, no, give us Barabbas. Just let that land. I don't have time to preach that. Just let that land. No, give us Barabbas, a, a, a robber. I almost said a lawyer. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. My lawyer friend sitting right there. Sorry, man. I think there are lawyers involved somehow. Okay, I just move on. Give us the robber. Chapter 19, Pilate flogged him. Now, you don't know, what does that mean? He beat him severely to the point of death. Not, not to death, but up to close. Crown of thorns, mocking, more striking, purple robe, again to mock him. Pilate said, okay, I've beaten him. I don't find any guilt in him. He says it again. No fault, no guilt, but I beat him for you. And will you be satisfied with this so we can just let him go? That's what Pilate wants to do. It says it. He wants to release him. They say, no, we want him crucified. And then Pilate says, well, then you do it. And he knows they can't do it. But he doesn't want to do it. You do it. And for the third time, he says, I find no guilt in him. 
And finally, in verse 7, they finally bring the accusation. They said that Jesus has made himself to be the Son of God, and that's worthy of death. And so Pilate doesn't, he goes back. So long, it's just, this scene just drags on and on. He goes back to Jesus, and he says, where are you from? They're claiming, they're saying that you're claiming to be the Son of God. Where are you from? <coughs> are, are you divine? Do you have a divine origin? I thought you were from Nazareth. Jesus gives no answer. Pilate says, talk to me. I can either release you or I can crucify you. Talk to me. And so Jesus does, verse 11, he does. He says, you can't do anything unless you're allowed to do it. And you can only do what is destined to happen. And still, you're going to be held accountable for it. And the people who delivered me up to you, Caiaphas and Annas and everybody else, they're going to be even more accountable. Greater guilt. Verse 12, he still wants to release Jesus, but they are relentless. You cannot release him. So, verse 13, picture the scene. Jesus, the Son of God, standing before Pilate. And Pilate goes and sits down on the judgment seat. The irony. He sits down as a judge while Jesus, the judge, stands before him condemned. And he delivers Jesus over to be crucified. Note the verdict. Three times. Not guilty. But note the sentence. Condemned to be crucified on the cross. There he stands. There's our vision. Denied, rejected, condemned. You know, whenever we read a story, whenever we see a film, I saw a movie recently about an in, such an injustice that was done. Whenever we read a story, see a film of someone wrongly accused, wrongly convicted, wrongly sentenced, or maybe we see someone killed by, by mob rule, or maybe we just read a story about innocent people being caught up in wartime crossfire or a, a, a missile attack, innocent people, and they die. Whenever we read this, we get angry. We get angry because we're human beings. So what good comes from a vision of Jesus like this, denied, rejected, condemned. What good could come other than just getting us angry? Is that the point of it? Or, or sad? Has, has this account done its work if we just get up and go home today mad or sad? Is the point of this whole vision of Christ standing like this alone primarily to give us comfort if maybe we've suffered our own injustice or our own persecution. There's an element of that because Peter, who denied Jesus, wrote some letters later, wrote a letter later that actually says, if you're suffering persecution, suffering for the sake of righteousness, look to Jesus and you'll be encouraged to endure because Jesus endured it himself. Is that the only purpose? Is that the primary purpose? Now remember what John's purpose is for this whole gospel. He says in chapter 20, just the next chapter over, he said, this whole thing, I've written all these signs down, everything I wrote about this is so that you would believe, that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they would have eternal life. So, 
what is the purpose of this vision, the primary purpose of the record of Jesus standing denied and rejected and condemned is to give you and me a vision of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would use to lead us to faith and also to hope and also to love. The vision of Jesus standing alone is to show us that Jesus stands as the only one. He's standing there before Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, and we see that Jesus is the only true high priest. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the writer gives a little bit of Old Testament history about the sacrificial system, and there's high priests and there's sacrifices. And what he tells us there is that all the high priests, all the priests of the past, before Jesus, all of them were human, they were flawed, and they failed. All of the priests of the past had sinned, and every one of the priests of the past needed a sacrifice to atone for their sins. Is, it, is, it, is that ever more apparent than right here? When the Messiah, the Son of God, is standing before the high priests, and they don't even know it, and they reject him. And then Hebrews <coughs> goes on to tell us that where they all failed, Jesus is the faithful high priest. It tells us he's sinless. We see it standing here. What wrong have I done? You're, you're, you're doing this for, for the truth that I'm telling you. He's forever. He's not. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's still the high priest. Jesus, the perfect and true and only high priest, is, is offering up a sacrifice. And here's the difference. The high priests of the past, they all offered up animal sacrifices. Jesus, the high priest, has a different sacrifice. You know what it is. It's himself. Yes, in Hebrews, Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice. And here these failed, flawed, sinning priests are standing in judgment Jesus, the high priest, is not standing in judgment over us. Jesus, the high priest, is standing before God on our behalf, representing, mediating, securing our acceptance, not our rejection before God. So what do you see? What are we supposed to see when we see Jesus standing rejected before the high priest of his day? We're supposed to see in Jesus the true and only high priest who stands with us before Almighty God. And there Jesus is alone without Peter. And in that we see Jesus is the true faithful one. He's the only one who is faithful both to God and his people. Peter said, I'll be faithful to the end. And he just melted. And Jesus stands alone without him as the faithful one. He's faithful to God's plan. He is faithful to remain. He is faithful to his word. Jesus is faithful to forgive. He's faithful to restore as he did Peter. I hope you hear that this morning. Jesus is faithful to forgive you. You sin and you think you've got a window of time that you have to prove yourself better. <coughs> better so you can get back in the good graces of Jesus. That is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is the one who's faithful to forgive because you can't forgive yourself. You can't make up for your sins. Jesus is the faithful one. 
Jesus stands alone without his disciple, revealing himself to be the faithful one who is with his disciples all the way to the end. He loves us. He loves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will keep you. You were kept today. You were kept this day. You're here today because Jesus Christ, by his power, is keeping you. Nothing will snatch you out of his hand. He's going to guide you. His voice is going to go out. You're going to hear his voice. You're going to follow him. This is the faithful shepherd. Jesus is faithful to claim to know us. Here's Peter, bless his heart. We're not mad at him. In fact, we're kind of glad it's him, not us, right? He can't claim his own discipleship. And Jesus is the faithful one who will claim us and claims us as his own through it all, in it all, all the way to the end, no matter what. You are more likely and more quick to condemn yourself than Jesus is you. He, will cl he claims to know you. I don't know how this works in the communication of the Trinity between the Father and the Son. I don't know how it works. But somehow we know that mediating work that Jesus did as the one who's the go-between, he is constantly saying, that one, and he's pointing to me and you, if you're in Christ, he's saying, that one, I know. I know him. I know her. They belong to me. That's mine. She's mine. He's mine. This is the faithfulness of Christ. We see it in Peter's unfaithfulness. And there is Jesus standing alone before Pilate. And what do we see? We see him condemned in our place. In our place. The only one who can stand in our place. Jesus is the only one who can bear the accusations that are against us. Jesus is the only one who can pay for our sin. The only one who can take away our guilt. The only one who, who can declare no condemnation. He was condemned in our place to be able to look to us and say no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. All because of his death on the cross. And then he was raised for our life. The injustice that's carried out in this scene is actually, this is, this is, this is true. The injustice carried out in this scene is actually the justice of God. You say, how is that possible? Because it is God dealing with sin before his own holy nature. He is being a just God in punishing sin and he is being a merciful God in punishing our sin in his son our sin punished in him who is the sinless one no sinner can atone for his or her own sin because a sinless one must do that one who needs no atonement is the only one who can actually atone this language is gospel language. This in our place language is substitution language. It's the gospel's language. It's the only way it happens. He in our place. Both negatively he took our sin and positively he gives us his righteousness. This is what's happening here as Jesus is standing condemned before Pilate. That's what we have in Jesus. We have a substitute. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Jesus is the only priest 
taking us to God. He's the only faithful one with us all the way to the end, and he's the only sacrifice for our sin. So what do we do? Do. We got to do something. We're doers. We got to do something. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Believe in him. Believe in him. Trust him. That he stands before God on your behalf and with you. He stands with you before God. And that's the only way you can stand before God. Believe that. Trust that. Put the whole weight of your whole being on that truth. And trust Him that He will stand with you through life all the way to the end. He will never reject you. He will never deny you. And there is no condemnation over you in Christ Jesus. And you need to hear that. And then stand with Him. Assured before God. Stand with Him in life. He's your hope. When you get accused by the devil in your own mind or someone else, stand with Christ. He bore it. Stand with Him in temptation. Call out to Him for help. He's with you. Stand with Him in the trial. He's there. Remember, He's standing with you when you pray. He'll answer in His good time, in His good way. If you're persecuted, He'll protect you. If you're lonely, He'll be your friend. He's your friend. He's not going anywhere. Talk to Him. Stand with Him because He's your reason to obey. There's only one reason to obey Jesus. It's not to get into heaven. It's not to make up for your past. There's one reason to obey Jesus. Because He died for you and He loves you and He claims you and you belong to Him. Seek His glory.